So we are in we are in week nine of our Things of the Spirit series, and as, as we're, we're getting closer to the end here, as I said, this is going to be about twelve weeks. We're going to take a couple of weeks off for Palm Sunday and, and Easter Sunday, and then finish it off uh, with three more weeks, and or a few more, however many. I can't do math in my head that quickly. Uh, but anyway, we're, we're in week nine today, and we started off with week one was was the ten works of the Spirit. Right? It was. Um, a comprehensive overview of what is all the things the Holy Spirit does. Then we looked at God's relational presence throughout the Bible, God's Spirit coming more and more and more, and then culminating and being poured out on, on the church. Uh, then we looked at the idea of spiritual gifts, that the Holy Spirit empowers us with these supernatural gifts and empowers us in practical ways as well. Then we started getting into the gifts. We looked at the gift of prophecy, and then uh, the following week we bundled together uh, exhortation, uh, knowledge and wisdom, those three kind of went nicely together. Then we did faith, healing, and miracles, did those three gifts together. Then we did tongues and interpretation. Then we looked, last week we looked at gifts of service, some more practical-oriented gifts like the gift of giving and the gift of helps and the gift of mercy and the gift of leading, all these different gifts. There's lots of different gifts. We, specifically in this series, looking at ones that the Bible does identify, um, but we're all wired, all got unique talents and unique ways that God wants to use us, and so we've been going through and looking at all these things. Today, we're looking at dreams and visions. Dreams and visions. Now, dreams and visions are not given to us as spiritual gifts, like the other gifts I just mentioned, like prophecy and these other gifts, but even though they're not given like that, they are still a promise of the new covenant that Jesus has Come to look, Jesus did bring. Uh, and so they are experiences that we should have. So today, today is the only Sunday that you are legitimately allowed to fall asleep during the sermon <laughs> because it is radical sermon application. It's instant sermon application for today. Let's pray and then let's jump into this. Lord, we thank you that you're with us. And we thank you, uh, we just thank you for the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that you're not a distant God, you're not a weak God, but you are a close-up, personal, intimate God and a powerful God. And Holy Spirit, that you have come to us, made your home in our hearts, and that you want to empower us and use us for your glory. So God, today I pray you again, you'd increase our faith, increase our expectation, that we would not be those who operate in the flesh, we would be not those who, who limit you but we would be those who are led by you and who trust you and who are being shaped by you. And Lord, for anyone today that doesn't know you, I pray, come and show yourself that they will be convinced and convicted that they need you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Now, on the day of Pentecost, that's the first day that the church was started, in Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at where dreams and visions are mentioned. Acts chapter 2, verse 15. It says, For these, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, because they're all speaking in tongues and doing all the, all the crazy stuff. If you, if you missed the, the sermon on tongues, go back and listen to that one. It's on YouTube. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only, not, it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons 
and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. This is God's word. Now, to say that people are going to get dreams and visions is just another way of saying that people are going to be able to prophesy. Because it was known to first, Jewish, first century Jewish people that they, the way that the prophets of old heard from God was through dreams and visions. So in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 12, I think verse 6, says this, it says, If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. This is how prophecies come. This is how they predominantly come, especially in the Old Testament. They come through dreams and visions. And then so Joel is then quoted here on, on, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Joel is, is quoted, this is another prophet, and he's saying, it's not just going to be sons and daughters. It's not just going to be old and young. It's e even on my servants. And so what he's saying is, he's saying that there's no, there's no barrier between who's the kind of person that can receive my, my spirit in this way and prophesy. That in the Old Testament, yes, it was these particular prophets that God kind of raised up to speak his words through. But hey, it doesn't matter your age, young and old. It doesn't matter your gender, male or female. It doesn't Even if you're a servant, even if you're on the lowest socio-economical status, you're going to be able to prophesy. So it's, it's to say, to add to it, hey, there's going to be dreams and visions. You know, young men get visions, old men get dreams. It's just, it's just saying everyone gets a piece of the pie. Every, it doesn't matter how you're going to hear it, everyone's going to get to hear the voice of God. It's an amazing prediction, and it came true on that day, and it's been true ever since for the church of Jesus that he started. It's been true ever since. So we can look at, you know, we look at like a, a waking vision that you might have, and we can say, instead of a dream being a waking vision, we can say a dream is like a sleeping vision. It's like a sleeping vision. They're very similar in these regards. So Job chapter 33 puts it like this. It says, in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men. There is essentially not really too much of a difference between dreams and visions. We'll get into some of the differences between them, but there's an enormous amount of overlap. Let's start with dreams. Let's dive into that. We'll start with dreams. Gideon is a good example to look at here. Gideon is an Old Testament figure. He was a judge in the Old Testament. And in Judges chapter 7, uh, we read this about a dream that is given. It says, when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. Next slide. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given it into his hand, Midian, and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped, and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your 
hand. Now, Gideon, if you're not familiar with him as a, as a, a character in the Bible, he was somebody who really doubted, who, who really lacked confidence in his calling in God. God had clearly anointed him and called him to lead Israel to fight Israel's enemies, and, but he needed a lot of reassurance. He's the guy with all the fleeces, right? If you've, if you've heard the fleeces situation, he's like always putting out the fleece. And will it be wet or will it be dry? God, what are you going to do? He just needed so much reassurance. He was just so uncertain about it. And so God in his kindness speaks through a dream to let Gideon know what he should do, to give Gideon confidence in his uh, plans. And the the interpretation of the dream was not too radical. It wasn't too difficult to decipher. It was pretty straightforward. Like, hey, there's a cake of barley bread, kind of tumbles into the camp, knocks a tent upside down. And so the, one, the guy that hears it is like, well, that means we beat them, right? And so Gideon overhears this, and he's got not only, no, he's, got, he's got two sources of external validation in this moment so that he can't second guess what he should do. Because if he had received, can you imagine with somebody so doubtful and so lacking confidence receives the dream themselves, probably could convince themselves, well, it probably doesn't mean that. It's probably just me. It's probably just my mind thinking this. But he's got, not only did God give the dream to somebody else, but he gave the interpretation to another person. So there's no doubt. There's no doubt. God wants them to have the victory. God's going to be with them. They can go uh, in this regard. And so that's the, that's a, a powerful illustration of how dreams work in our lives, how God speaks. And he's done this throughout the Bible. God has spoken through dreams throughout the entire Bible. Since the very beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible, God is giving dreams to speak to people. Now, a lot of dreams um, can just be straightforward. They're just instructional dreams. You just you get the dream, and it's very clear in the dream what it's about. You don't have to decipher it somehow. So, for example, in Matthew chapter 2, Joseph, the father of Jesus, it says, being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Galilee, excuse me. So he didn't, it's not like he has to scratch his head for a long time and say, what's God saying? It's like, boom, you got the message, you go. That's nice when that happens. But God intentionally also speaks a lot through symbolic dreams. Through symbolic dreams. And when we, when we receive symbolism through a dream, so it means that the, the meaning of it is not immediately clear to us. We don't know. And so we need to actually be patient with that. We need to be careful not to jump to a conclusion with a symbolic dream, in part because dreams, you know, some dreams have no discernible meaning to them. Have you ever had a dream like that before? Where you're just scratching your head thinking, this is some strange imagery, this happened, this happened, this happened. Listen, if God wants to speak to you through a dream, he, it might be confusing to begin with, but he will bring clarity because he wants you to get the message. So if there is no discernible meaning to it in the long term, then you can just conclude, that's probably just my brain doing that. It's probably just my own mind processing things, my own fears coming out, something. I don't have to worry about it. Because if God is speaking to me, he will make it clear ultimately. I know that there's a responsibility, responsibility on us to search out and seek out if there is a meaning to it. But if you receive a dream, and it's kind of like this symbol, it's kind of like a little puzzle, like a mystery to solve somehow, then we need to apply wisdom to it and patience to it. We need to be careful because symbolic things can be extremely subjective. If we really want God to do a certain thing, we can bend something symbolic to make it fit our interpretation. 
So we need to be careful not to do that. But the other thing we need to be careful about is if you have a, say, a, a particularly heavy dream, say you have a dream, let's say you have a dream of a loved one or somebody you know who, let's say they die in the dream. You've had one of those dreams before? It's horrible, right? I had a dream once that I was in jail, I was in prison for a crime I didn't commit. And it was so real. I was like so relieved when I woke up. Like, oh, wow, I thought I was going to be in prison forever. But you have, let's say you have a dream that somebody dies. Here's what you shouldn't conclude. You shouldn't conclude that means that person's going to die. Or it, could, it, could, it could be talking about a type of death for that person or in that person's life. So you have to be, we have to be wise and careful and say, God's given me this because he wants me to discern. He wants me to go through a process of discerning the meaning of it. And a way to think about this is with the parables. So Jesus primarily taught through parables, intentionally, therefore, hiding the meaning of it for a lot of people. So, so even the disciples who were closest to Jesus, oftentimes, they hear the parable that Jesus teaches and they're scratching their heads. You know, there's private conversations in their head. They're like, are you going to tell us now what it means? What did that mean? I think as time went on, they probably started figuring out, oh, that's probably what that means. Or does it, how does it work? Because the, the beauty of doing this, why, why does God do that? So why does he just tell us instantly what it is? It's so genius. I love it. God is such a collaborative God. So he'll, he'll, he'll tell a parable, tell a story, and the surface of it is, is the details of the story, but underneath it, there's all this meaning, and there's a message for us to get a hold of, and he wants us to work hard to decipher it, to grow our own discernment and our own wisdom for us to engage our own minds and our own spirits so that we will have the joy of discovering this beautiful message that God wants to give to us. We go on a journey with him. It's like, watching, it's like when you start watching a murder mystery. Which one? Which, who's the murderer? And you know the murderer is always like in the first few minutes, right? And it's always the one that is the most impossible one. It's, it's the one who could never have done it. That's always the one who did it. It's always true. I don't know how Agatha Christie did it. This is, the other reason God gives us dreams is to actually grow a spiritual hunger in us to grow motivation in us. Because if we're, if we're apathetic, we're lacking direction, lacking faith, wow, there's something powerful about receiving a mysterious dream that's symbolic, that's got different things happening, and you're like, it's not immediately clear to me what it means. You know what that's going to cause you to do? Is think about it a lot. Is try and find the answer to it a lot. How great is that? That God will give us dreams to draw out that hunger in us. This happens... Uh, for example, with uh, King Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament. He starts getting these dreams. And they, he's so disturbed by them, he can't sleep properly. So he starts gathering together all these people to try and figure out what's the meaning of the dream. So we see this in Daniel chapter 2. It says, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. Now, I do think, I, I do, I, whenever I think about ancient peoples who are subjected to kings, you know, I, I just feel so bad because, like, you look, you look the wrong way at the king, you know, you could lose your head, right? And I, I feel particularly bad for somebody who's subjugated to a king with a long, difficult name to say. I just feel like the decapitation rate might be a lot higher. Um, just, it's just an unfortunate situation. Now, 
So then Dan, in, this, in this particular story, right, then, then it comes to, uh, to pass that then Daniel is called upon. Daniel's called upon to interpret the dream. And one of the things we have to think about when it comes to the Bible's teaching on dream interpretation is that it does not say, especially in the New Testament, it does not list out a specific gift of interpreting dreams. It doesn't mention it. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't a gift of interpreting dreams, but we have to be careful in claiming to have the power to interpret dreams, although this is a clear gift in the Bible because it's not specifically mentioned. We have, so Daniel is one example in the Bible. The only other real example is Joseph. Joseph, who actually went as far as almost to flat out deny that he had the gift of interpreting dreams. So uh, we've got this in Genesis chapter 40. Uh, he says this, he says, when he's asked to interpret dreams, dreams he says, do, uh, do not interpretations belong to God. Now, that's probably Joseph being humble and pointing the glory to God, which is, that's true. I mean, it's not, that, it's not that Joseph has some natural ability of his own accord to figure out dreams, to figure out their meaning. God, it's given by God. God gave him the power to do that. And it's, it's pretty clear to me that he, I mean, he's called the dreamer, you know, he does interpret dreams. It's, it's pretty clear to me he had this gift because he interprets dreams on the spot. People give him the dream. He doesn't have to go away and pray about it or study things or think about it. He gives, he gives an interpretation instantly of what it means. That's a gift. But because, but that is Old Testament. And we've got a lot of examples of gifts in the New Testament that we're given, but we're not specifically told that there's a gift of interpreting dreams. So there's this tension there. In fact, we may not really need to be too concerned about who has the gift of interpreting dreams or who's going to be, 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 who can speak into these things because the gift of prophecy the gift of the utterance of knowledge, the word of knowledge, or uh, the gift of distinguishing spirits, which we're talking about next week, distinguishing evil spirits, talking about that, demonization, those kind of things, that'll be next week. But those gifts, really, they function in exactly the same way as dream interpretation, because they're gifts where you're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. They're what's called revelatory gifts, where you're heart is in tune with what God is saying, and you're, you're listening for the voice of God. So if you, can, if you have a, a powerful you know, gift or, or a mature gift of prophecy, well, you're going to probably do a pretty good job if someone gives you, you know, someone says, I've got this dream. If, you know, if, you, if you're practiced at sharing prophetically with people, you might actually have a pretty good stab at giving the meaning of it. So prophecy probably covers it in that regard. But I think, I think Joseph's example to us is an amazing example. That's the example of Scripture. Is somebody who could interpret dreams on the spot, he says, interpretations belong to God. That's an example to us, no matter what gifts we move in or that we use, no matter how impressive our gift might be. Because, I mean, honestly, I, I mean, I've seen people before, like, tell somebody, like, their telephone number or, like, do crazy things and... I don't know why that, why that would happen or how, you know, why the Holy Spirit would do that, but I've seen that happen and heard of different things like that happening before. But the point isn't the, the impressiveness of the gift. The point is the fruit of the gift, what's it producing in people's lives. And I think Joseph's example is very important to say, well, this stuff belongs to God. It's not something we muster up in our own spirits. These words, they belong to God. Prophecy belongs to God. Interpretations belong to God. 
Now, we have to be very careful with dreams and deciphering things that, you know, there's whole literatures and books and volumes written about dream interpretation. And even amongst certain Christian groups, there's a lot of emphasis put on this. And a lot of that, I think, is a distraction. Um, so there, there are even things, you know, where, where people will come up with lists of symbolism. So like if you dream of a snake, that always means a particular thing. If you, if you, if you, if you dream of your parents, your parents are in your dream, well, that always means something. Or you, you dream of Frosty the Snowman. That means you're going to have a great Christmas. That's what that means. That's, that's my hope, at least, for a great Christmas. The, the Bible has no room for anything like that. Actually, that, that would lead us astray because sim, you know, symbols can mean... That's why you need interpretation because the combination of symbols might mean something particular. And so to, to get trapped into, well, this symbol always means this and this always means this and this always means this, is to do something the Bible doesn't allow us to do. It never says you should do that. Dreams are mysterious, aren't they? There's something very spiritual about dreams. And they, they kind of open us up or connect us to the spiritual realm in some regard. I don't know even exactly what I mean by saying that. Um, but we know, we know that angels can enter our dreams. In Matthew chapter 2, we have this example here. It says, An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. So if angels have the power and the ability to enter our dreams and communicate with us, ask yourself this question. We'll get in more into this next week. But if demons are fallen angels, it's most likely they still have the ability to do this, to enter our dreams. And so that should make us very cautious about how we do interpret our dreams. Because what is the source of the dream? Is it just from... Is it just gobbledygook in my own mind, or is it from God sent via an angel, or is it of a fallen angel, of an evil spirit? And I have to work at discerning those things. Now, there are also, we're also warned that there are people, whether they're believers or not, who will use dreams to actually defy things that God has already revealed in his word or circumvent things that God's already used in his word. So in Jude chapter 1, verse 8, it talks about those who, who, relying on their dreams, they reject authority. So here's how this works is somebody, let me give you a very clear example. You know, let's, say, let's say somebody gets a dream that they're supposed to marry somebody who's not a believer. Christian gets a dream, and in the dream, they see themselves marrying somebody who's not a believer. And they might say, oh, God wants me to marry that person. Well, what does God's word say? It tells us to not be unequally yoked, to not marry an unbeliever. Now, if you're here and you're a Christian, you're, you are married to an unbeliever. God hates divorce, so stay married and keep it the be- make it the best marriage it can be. But if you're before that, obey God's word, not your dream. Do you understand? Obey God's word... We don't use a dream to circumvent, because that's, the, that's the, the danger of the subjective nature of symbolism is, or a lack of discernment. And that's why being too enamored with supernatural activity can actually, I tend to find that people who are the most enamored with supernatural activity are the least discerning. We want to be, we want to be those who have faith to see what God can do, to have faith to pray for, for anything, and to be obedient to the voice of the Spirit, and to have 
confidence in the voice of God, but also to be those who are grounded and rooted and firmly planted in what is true and what is right. To have, we want to be, because that's what we see in Scripture. That's the example we have in Scripture. Let's transition to talking about visions. Visions. So, in contrast, a dream is something that you experience in your mind's eye. A vision is something that you experience with your actual eyes. There's a, a tangible, it, it, all your senses are being engaged in a vision because you're awake for it. So we have this example in Ezekiel chapter 1, the prophet Ezekiel says, in the 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kibar Canal, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Now, there's something qualitatively different, I think, about this that sets it apart to the idea of a dream. Like we said, a dream feels real while you're having it, but when you wake up from it, you're like, oh, I know it was a dream. It was something in my mind's eye. But with a vision, you're seeing it with your physical eye. And so there's, there's something, and you might even be hearing things as well, and, or even touching things, potentially, in a vision. It could be very experiential. So both can be figurative. A dream and a vision could be figurative things that are happening, because even like Ezekiel, these some of his visions, he's like eating scrolls and stuff. I don't know if we get to heaven, that's what the food is, that you're eating scrolls. But I think it's figurative. But, but there's something qualitatively that seems to be at another level here, that after a vision, I don't think you look at it and be like, oh, that was just like a dream. I think because you're actually processing it through your physical senses. This is real. I think this is illustrated by what's called the transfiguration of Jesus, which is the special moment in the Gospels where Jesus withdraws from everyone and he takes Peter, James, and John, his three best buds, three closest companions, and he goes up the top of the mountain with them and it says he's transfigured before their eyes or transformed before their eyes. His body is shining with light. His clothes are white and shining. And it says that Moses and Elijah, two of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, they appear there and Jesus is talking with them and then a cloud comes and they're enveloped in the cloud and then there's a voice from the cloud, the, vo the audible voice of God speaking and it's this incredible experience. And then we, we read in Matthew chapter 17, it says this, afterwards it says, and they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Now this Jesus calls this a vision. Because we might tend, like a dream is something figurative, like, oh, I'm being shown something. We might also think the same thing about a vision. We might think a vision is, it's not something that's actually real. It's just, it's almost like I've got a VR set on and I'm just, I'm, I'm watching a, a heavenly TV program or something. But this description of the transfiguration, this was such a visceral experience that Peter was like, Let's make tents. Like, let's set up some tents here. That's a very Jewish thing to say. Like, God's presence is here. Let's make a tabernacle. Let's set up some tents. And let's stay here and hang out. And Jesus calls this is a vision. This is... So, so a vision could be that you're looking into, you're, you're, you're peering... You know, we might just tend to think of it like, I'm, I'm being showing a representation of something, something distant, something far off. 
But this example seems to be like, no, they, it's almost like a little, like God's finger coming down out of heaven and being like, boom, here's a little moment of heaven on earth. God speaking, the cloud coming, you know, dead people appearing. It's a, uh, visions are, and the Apostle Paul, um, he talks of visions that he had. And he was very confused by his visions. His visions were, were, were pretty intense. And he's not exactly sure how to describe what was actually happening to him in the visions that he had. So uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says this. It says, I must go on boasting. Paul. Paul gets it. This is why, Paul, this is why Paul's always in trouble. He's always saying stuff like this. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. So, Paul, why do it? I just want to be in a conversation with Paul. <laughs> I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man. So, okay, theologians say when Paul says, I know a man, almost all theologians agree he's talking about himself. All right? <laughs> he's talking about himself. I know a man, right? Talking for a friend, asking for a friend, that kind of thing. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Now, that's mysterious. If, you're around the, if the Apostle Paul was alive today, and he was having a hard time sleeping, and he took an Ambien, and right before he was about to drift off, he could be like, so you, what happened? You want to tell me? Just get him in his moment of weakness and see if he'll tell you some of the things he's not supposed to tell anyone about. This is, only God knows, only God, I mean, this is the beauty, I, lo I love this, because sometimes you know, the more theology you learn, the less exciting God can be to you, which means you're learning theology wrong. Because the more you learn, the more wondrous God should appear to you. And so it's wonderful to learn things like this where you say, I don't know, like, was Paul in his body, like, like Captain Kirk, beamed up <laughs> into the heavens. Something happened where he's literally, his body was in, the third, he talks about the third heaven, but the Bible talks about kind of three levels of, of, of heaven in terms of like, one, the first level of heaven is the blue sky. The second level of heaven is outer space and the cosmos. I could talk about the heavens, right? The heavenly bodies, that kind of stuff. So you've got the sky, you've got space. The third heavens is the spiritual realm. All right, one, two, three. That's simple. So I was caught up into the third heavens. So I was in the spiritual realm. What, it was so real, he couldn't tell, am I just here spiritually? Am I just perceiving something? Or am I actually here in my body? I don't know. Only God knows. God, God knows. And he says it twice, right? He says it twice, just to be really clear. He's not claiming something that's theologically impossible, because all things are possible for God. He's just saying he doesn't... That, but that's how real the experience of the vision was. That he's, it, it could have been that. That he was literally taken up from this earth for a time being and in heaven and then brought back down again. Uh, that's something. That's something to think about. Now, as it also with... We looked at this with dreams, right? That you can... People can wrongly rely on their dreams and that causes them to do things that God's Word tells us not to do. Um, people can have this problem with visions as well. It's very tempting with visions. So be, we can become so enamored with 
these ecstatic experiences of the Holy Spirit or wanting to encounter God that, you know, of course we should want to encounter God, but we can become so enamored with the experience itself or with details of visions ourselves that we're actually, we're off track, we're distracting ourselves and others. So in Colossians chapter 2, Apostle Paul writes this, he says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So the idea of the sensuous mind. Somebody who's just looking for a sensation. Somebody who's just looking for, it's just, it's just emotion. It's only emotionalism. Of course, God should fulfill our deepest joys and be our greatest pleasure in life. Of course, that's true. But um, there, there can be instances where people can get very carried away in great detail about visions or dreams or experiences they've had. And that's, that's a bad sign. I mean, it's a clear Bible verse right here. That's, that, that's not a good sign. That actually, the point of a dream or a vision that you might have, and I, I would say dreams are much more, it's much more frequent that God speaks through dreams. I've only known a, a, a few people in my life, I've never had a vision. I've only known a few, a handful of Christians who have said they actually had a vision where they saw something with their physical eyes um, in that regard. And so we've got to be careful about going on and on and on. People with all kinds of strange details or strange symbolism or things. It's like they're more concerned with... Then you get, because it's leaning into not what's called Gnosticism, right? Where it's like, if you just listen to me, if you keep listening to me enough, I've got secret knowledge for you. When actually, the, the, the beautiful thing about the Bible is that there are some complicated things in there, of course, because God's God is an infinite creature and, you know, uh, creature's the wrong word for it, he's an infinite person. Uh, and so there are things we can't comprehend beyond our, our imagination. But the things he wants us to know can be grasped. They're not that hard. 99% of it's not that hard. And so if you've got people who are stringing you along with all these special things, secret knowledge, that's called Gnosticism. And it's taking you away from God, taking all of us away from God, rather than God wants to make things plain and clear to us. So we don't want to be enamored, we don't want to get overly enamored with it. And as Christians and as a church, and this is the role of leaders, why God gives leaders in churches, is to actually stand to stand against those distractions and to face those people and, and to bring correction to that. To say, no, this is a distraction now. This is beyond just a hunger for God and beyond God just speaking to you in a dream or a vision. Now this is getting into to hokey worship, you know, worship of angels, you know, territory. We're not interested in that at all, and it's a distraction. And weaker Christians, you know, can be taken up by these things. People who don't know the Bible, who aren't very discerning, who don't know the Bible very well, can be drawn into these kinds of things. And so it becomes a complete distraction from their actual, from, from growing in obedience to Jesus, from actually conquering sin in their life, actually growing as a disciple of Jesus. And so the, the, we don't want to get caught up, puffed up in our own minds about those kinds of things. We, when they happen, we're grateful for it. But also, you know, the Holy Spirit, we're told, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And if a big source of prophecy, we're told earnestly, especially that you may prophesy, and if a big source of prophecy, the origin of it, biblically speaking, are dreams and visions, well then, we should want to pray, God, fill my dreams with your thoughts, Fill my dreams with your presence. Fill my dreams with your images and 
your truth, like fill, fill it, well, which is the truth, like fill, fill my dreams and also fill my gaze. But the things that I look upon will be filled with the things that you want me to see. That should be our prayer because God has used dreams and visions throughout the Bible. So there's always that tension between, well, you don't want to get crazy about it, but also be hungry for it. Be hungry to experience it in the way that God has intended for it to be experienced. For myself, um, let me tell you about an experience I had several years ago now I, um, of a dream that I had uh, where God spoke to me through a dream. And I was, we were, we were, it was summer vacation. We were away. We were in um, when my in-laws lived in Atlanta. And um, they used to live by this little pond area. It was a really pretty, beautiful little area. And I was doing some sermon preparation. I was on vacation, so I shouldn't have been working, but I was. Forgive me. And I've gotten a little bit better since then. Uh, but I was, I was studying. I was reading through John, I think, Gospel of John. And, and, and I was just really wanting to have um, more of an encounter with God and, and just for, you know, to deepen my, my connection with him. And so I was really praying, like, God, like, you know, show up in some powerful way, like, Give me a sign, send something. Like, and you know, there was this beautiful scene there, and it was very relaxing, and I felt like God was with me, and I was in the Word, and that was great. Nothing amazing, you know, other than that is amazing, but nothing in addition to that happened at that time. But that night, God answered my prayer, and I had a dream. And in the dream, I was in this music store with my two sons, Jones and McRae, and they were very little at the time, so this was several years ago now. And they're running around in this music store. Do people go to music stores anymore? It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> anyway, I feel like I haven't been in a music store in like a long time. Anyway, we're in this music store and, and my two sons are there and they're making a little bit of commotion. They're being a little loud. They're little kids. They're running around, but it's not too bad. You know, it's not anything out of the ordinary. And um, the manager or somebody, you know, one of the workers of the store came up to me and said, you have to get these kids out of here right now. And I was mad in my dream. And they walked off and went back behind the counter. And I was so furious. And I walked up to them. And I, and I was I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. And uh, so I, I just said, hey, I want to talk to your manager. And they were like, I am the manager. I was like, okay, well, well you've got to have a boss. You've got to have some kind of superior or somebody who's, who's over this store. Like, is this like a group of stores? And like, who's, I, I, want a, somebody, I want a phone number. I want to call someone. He's like, he's like, there is someone you could talk to, but it's not going to make any difference. I was, like, I was like, this guy is totally up himself. Like, what the heck? I was so enraged. So I said, give me a phone number of somebody that I can call. So he gets out a piece of paper and starts writing these numbers. This long list of numbers gives me this, this piece of paper. And I remember I was so furious. I was like, this isn't even a phone number. Like, what is this? Like, what is going on? And he looked at me and he said, you know what, Matt? You're suffering from a case of self-importance. And you justify how much alcohol you drink. And I woke up. And later on, I realized it was Jesus in the dream. He was a store manager. He was in charge. And I was not, I was, I was not surprised to hear the self-importance thing, because I've heard that before. <laughs> but I needed to hear it again. It was very humbling. Suffering from a case of self-importance. Like, it's like I'm sick somehow. Like, oh, we've got to use this ointment for your condition, you know. But the alcohol thing really took me off guard. I was like, what is... And God revealed to me that alcohol had a grip in my life that it shouldn't have had. And so at that point, I gave up alcohol for a year. As a result of that, that day, I said to Heather, I'm not drinking 
for a whole year. And she was like, really? She didn't quite believe me. But I did, I went a whole year. And then actually subsequently since then, I think it was in 2020, I fully, I gave up alcohol completely since then. But, um, which has been a, a tremendous, I think like God wanted me to do that. It's been a tremendous thing in my life. It's, it's, you, know, it's either, you either have it in moderation or abstinence. Those are the two options. Um, and, but that came out of a dream. God spoke to me in that, in that dream. And then what's funny was then several months later, I had another dream which gave me the context of what was happening in the dream in the first place, where I was shown another part of the store where something dangerous was happening. And the manager had come to me out of protection and said, that was why we had to get out, was because something dangerous was happening and out of our own safety and protection, we needed to, to get out. And what a, that's why it's a case of self-importance because you know what, we're so sensitive sometimes. We're, we get so easily offended because we misunderstand people's words. We get so uptight and we, we're so self-righteous. And I, was, I, I can be that way. I mean, God had to give me this crazy dream to get, try and get the message home to me. That how easy it is to think that we're all that and that we've got all the answers. People, other people don't understand. I understand. Other people don't. People don't listen to me, but don't understand. When we're actually the one, we need a mirror. We need to look in the mirror and realize, oh my gosh, if only we could like literally borrow other people's eyes and stick them on in our own brains and see how we are perceived, we'd all be a lot more mature and a lot more humble. And I pray that God would give you a dream like that or an experience like that where he would speak to you in that kind of way. Actually, um, Erin Perdue, who's in our church, who has a prophetic gift, she came up to me. Was it last week you shared this? Yeah. yeah. She was like, hey, I, I had a dream. And she talked to Heather and I. She said, Matt, I had a dream, and you were in my dream. She said, the first time this has ever happened to me, to get a dream for, like a prophetic dream for somebody else. So she had a few things she shared with me, and I instantly knew this is from God, and it was super encouraging. And I've been praying. I told her, I said, I've been, because this is the message I've been looking forward to the most, because, look, Getting a prophecy, prophesying other other people, words of knowledge, all these different things, there is a subjective element to it, and you have to grow in your own maturity, your love of the word, your love for other people, and your your, your ability to tune out your own thoughts and tune into the Spirit's thoughts in order to to do the best you can to deliver a, a prophecy to somebody. But here's what I love about getting a dream or getting a vision is, it's so clear. It's so clear. Like you get, you've got the symbolism, you've got the image. And it may not all make sense. Like even Aaron texted some things later on, being like, well, I had this, this was part of it too. There's always a weird element to a dream, but my, my, my encouragement is just share whatever it is. Just, you know, even if it's a bit odd, just share it. Because you just never know how God's working through that. God speaks in amazing ways. If we validate, if we confirm that a dream or a vision is from God, you're certain like, yes, this is the voice of God speaking. We need to pay extra special attention to it because God has always spoken in special ways like this. And if you desire to prophesy, pray that you would get dreams. Pray that God would fill your gaze with his visions. If you're hungry for that, ask for those dreams and those visions. Now let me, let's end on this note. Let me frame it like this. Think about, because you don't just have to have dreams and visions to see the voice of God speaking. Or at least you don't have to have supernatural versions of those things. Think about movies you've seen that have incredible cinematography 
and incredible landscapes and the way things are filmed and you're just blown away by the imagery of it. You've ever seen something on a big screen like that and you're just like blown away by the, the artistic expression, just natural beauty itself and then the, the, the filmmaker's portrayal of it. And, or think about a piece of artwork that you've seen. Have you ever had a visceral reaction to a piece of artwork? You, you looked at a painting or something like that and you're just like, you're like overwhelmed emotionally by it. If you've experienced anything like that, or, or you, you, you see a mountainous scene, and you look at it, and you, and you just, and you're just in awe. I remember one time seeing this horse really far away, like galloping through this field, and just being like in awe of this animal. Like, this thing is majestic. Like, wow, look what God made. You've been in an airplane, and you look down on an amazing scene, or you, you're above the clouds, and you see the clouds, you see the shadows from the clouds. There's a, those are visions, and that vis, those visions that we have, they speak to us, because Scripture says that all creation speaks to us about who God is. There's a message coming through the visions that we already have, that we look around us, and we see it in people as well, because we're made in the image of God. So when you see something inspiring or amazing in a fellow human being, you're actually seeing a vision an aspect, a reflection, something resonating still of the image that God has put in them. And there's a narrative, there's a story, there's something coming through it that teaches us something, that tells us something about the power of God, about the beauty of God, about the love of God. You can draw conclusions about God from the visions of the, of the world, of, of the cosmos. As you look at it and you're in awe of it, well, that awe is pointing to the awe of God, the glory of God, the wonder of God. But God hasn't just given us that general revelation. He's also given us what we might say, what we, we could say like with dreams, like in our mind's eye. He's given us the, the greatest narrative, the greatest story delivered to us, handed down to us, told over again by the generations, thankfully written down, to, written down for us so that we can be confident in its meaning from history. This It's not just... General revelation, like, yes, there is a God who's made everything, but there is a specific God who became flesh, who sacrificed himself to die in our place because he loves us. And that person, Jesus, is the only way that we can be made right with God. We have sin. We have evil in our hearts. There's evil in the world. We know it, but it's in here too. And the only way it can be taken away from us is through the person of Jesus, his death and resurrection, his death on the cross and his resurrection from the tomb. It is the only way. That's, that story that has captured the minds and the hearts of generations of Christians. Come in. Come into God's family today. If you're not a believer, come in. Come all the way in. Confess Get rid of your sin. You don't want your sin. Your sin is horrible. It's evil. Run away from evil. Run towards good. The only way to run towards good is to run towards Jesus. That's the best vision of life that you can have. That's the best dream you could ever have. That's what God has come to do. Think about how you can respond today. Think about, God, how, how can I be more hungry for you? How can I have expectation that when I go to sleep, God's going to inhabit my dreams. How can I have expectation that the things I look upon, God is going to show me where to look? That he's going to show me 
his visions, whether that be in the natural or even in the supernatural? How can we increase our faith and increase our confidence that God is speaking, that God is moving, that God is working? God, I pray for our church. I pray that you would unleash dreams and visions. Protect us from ever being those who go on in detail about visions or use dreams to circumvent authority, help us be grounded and wise. But God, give us those dreams and those visions. Help us to follow you. Help us to submit our hearts to your will. Help us to share your grace. I pray next week, as we gather after service next week during Share the Grace, give us so much faith and confidence that we would be bold going out to bless our city, to prayer walk around this neighborhood, to extend invitations for Easter, Lord, that we will be those who are not afraid, not ashamed, that we recognize this world needs the light and that evil has been growing. It's been growing. It's been growing. God, give us confidence and faith that goodness will win the day. That Because you are good. Give us that confidence and that faith that the light will outshine the darkness. It has to. There's no other option. And it will because you are the source of that light. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Give us dreams and visions. Give us those prophecies. Come and help us know your voice. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.